0: Deeper Still, the KPC podcast where um, Steve and I and maybe whatever guest speaker we might have um, talk about this past week's sermon and just dig in a little deeper um, with it. This week we're doing something a little bit different. We aren't looking at the sermon um, because we had a guest speaker this past Sunday and um, we wanted to just stay with our theme of Old Testament characters. Um, and so we decided to take a character from the Old Testament that there won't be a sermon on. We're not Steve nor Mark. We'll be preaching on her, but we, um, she's someone that we wanted to talk about and um, just maybe share some thoughts and insights with um, with our audience. So we're going to be looking at the life of Deborah from Judges chapter 4. Um, yeah, it's the whole chapter, actually chapter four and five.
1: Yeah, so we are going to uh, get to know Deborah just a little bit, um, that wonderful Old Testament woman that half the church just doesn't know what to do with, and we're going to have a little fun today. We're going to we're really going to explore the space in this passage of scripture. Um, uh, so, uh, especially in relation to women serving in ministry. Uh, whether in your context that is a formal ordained position, um, or whether it's that um, even in volunteer positions throughout the church there are there are boundary lines for women. So Deborah's just a great person to look at in light of that because her name comes into that conversation whenever uh, whenever we do that. So here is Deborah, um, very kind of briefly from Judges chapter four. Um, Ehud, one of the heroes of Israel, um, one of the hero leaders of Israel, has just died. Um, And uh, Israel's in kind of a prosperous, good place with the Lord. But after Ehud's death, it says the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So Israel kind of does their normal backslide the way many of us do in our own lives. But as a nation, they slide backwards backwards. Um, so God turns them over to King Jabin of Hazor, who's a Canaanite king. And so they're being occupied again. Oppression comes in, um, says the commander of his army was Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, which I think is pretty big stuff back in the day. So that they've got the chops to really dominate. They ruthlessly <coughs> oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And then... What happened in Exodus and so often in the Old Testament happens again. The people of Israel cry out to the Lord for help. So that's the setup you get. And then it just turns over to narrative. Uh, verse 4, it says, Deborah, um, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet. Okay, there's, that's interesting as we think about women in ministry. She is a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. So she is in a position, formally recognized as as a judge of Israel. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment, and she would render judgments the way people would go to a king, like the famous case of uh, Solomon and the two women. Deborah would render kind of a royal judgment, and the matter was settled. Mm -hmm. Um, One day she sent... She sent for Barak, who is another big wig in Israel, a army uh, commander, and she said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and call out, uh, meaning call him to battle. Go ahead and issue the challenge to Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and war- warriors uh, to the Kishon River, and there... I, the Lord, will give you victory over him. (laughs) So, Barak responds in verse 9. He told her, I will go, but only if you go with me, Deborah. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So, Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. And there at uh, Kadesh, Barak is faithful to the assignment. He calls together the tribes. 10,000 warriors go up with him, Deborah goes up with him, and Barak finds out, you know, Barak was told that he's being called out, and uh, he goes with his 900 iron chariots, all of his warriors, and they march. So here comes the battle, Uh, verse 14, then Deborah said to Barak, get ready, this is the day the Lord will give you the victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak leads his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor. They go into battle. Barak attacks. The Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. And folks, it is a total rout. All of Sisera's uh, warriors are killed. No one's left alive. Except for Sisera. <clears throat> he runs, uh, runs away and goes to the tent of Jael, the wife of uh, uh, Haber the Canite. Um, because there's kind of a family connection there. So J.L., his wife, goes out to, to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Don't be afraid. So Sisera goes into her tent. She covers him with a blanket. He says he's thirsty. She gives him some milk from a leather bag. There you go. Not your typical uh, post-war fare refreshment. Uh, but she gives him um, some milk from a leather bag. She covers him again. He falls asleep from exhaustion. She quietly creeps up to him with a hammer and a tent peg, and she drives a tent peg through his temple and hammers his head to the ground. (laughs) When Brock came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, Come, and I will show you the man Sisera you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. Wow, what an ending! Um, okay, so so we have an epic story, a phenomenal story. but what we're going to look at today is what the church often has done with this story. Um, because uh, the story in many conservative evangelical churches is that, um, you know, God, because of Paul's admonitions about women, Paul doesn't allow women to teach. He wants them to uh, cover their heads. There's, there's some instruction there um, looking at kind of looking back at the patriarchy, the, the patristic um, uh, storyline of the Old Testament. Um, the uh, kind of what's followed out of that is, OK, women are not to serve in church. Sometimes there are variations of this, you know, that, OK, women can teach other women or women can teach children um, but have no authority over men. But Deborah is often used, or she pops up because because uh, biblical thinking people say, well, wait a minute, what do you do with Deborah? Here is a woman who was a prophet, which is an official title of recognition in the Old Testament. She is one of the judges of Israel, and they led Israel at that time. You You have this story here where she is clearly leading the charge, what do you do with Deborah? And so often the answer back is, "Well, this was a unique time in Israel's history, and the kind of the, the storyline beneath what you have in print is that really none of the men were stepping up, and since none of the men step up, um, the men of courage or godliness, Deborah's kind of God's second choice, and because of course God is God, He achieves victory anyway." But we all need to learn a valuable lesson and not put God in this position again. So we want to take a look at this and first of all stay biblical. And I'll just go ahead and ask the question where is the storyline? Where where is where does Scripture say that none of the men stepped up and so that's why Deborah's leaving? Because the story just jumps into Deborah.
0: I mean I've heard that.
1: I grew up with that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean I think a lot of us have heard that storyline before that there were no men. So God yeah, God God had to use had to use a woman. But you don't see it in scripture anywhere relating to the story of Deborah. So I just it would be interesting to know where that that came from.
1: Yeah, because, you know, what we want to do with, uh, I, I think what we, we, we want to try and consider here is, look, if women are not supposed to be in leadership in church, we want to base that on Scripture and not uh, the traditions of the 20s, 30s, 40s, um, you know, chauvinistic storylines. So I even looked a little bit, I poked around a little bit extra biblically um because there are other works besides scripture that kind of support scripture, sometimes we'll go to those just to get a fuller storyline or you know look into you know Talmud or something else um that that statement doesn't exist anywhere that I could find mm. in anything even extra biblical that there was a problem with male leadership, therefore God said, well, I've got to use somebody let's go ahead and use a woman this time
0: it's not even i mean god doesn't even explain himself you know i mean it's just Deborah was leading. Deborah was judging. Deborah was a prophet. There is no—God obviously didn't feel like he needed to justify his actions or his choice to work through.
1: I mean, you don't see that at all. It's very matter-of-fact, mm-hmm. just, and here's what happened. Right. Without, like, I really need to make sure you guys understand or there's a problem, so let me help you connect what the problem is and my solution. It's just— stated. I
0: think I mean my my guess would be that that storyline developed from men who um felt like they needed to have an explanation, something that would match Paul's um what they understand to be Paul's teaching on women. But Deborah's not the only Old Testament woman that was in any type of leadership role or prophet or, you know, you had other women throughout the old Testament. Um, she's obviously the most, you know, being the, uh, you know, the judge of Israel at that time, she's obviously the, the one that you would point to, but there were other women that God used to, uh, speak on his behalf and to work on his behalf. And he never, he never explains or, you know, well, I had to pick a woman because... No, I mean, it was just like women, men. I use I use both. Well, it's interesting because even
1: within the story, there's another prominent woman who comes in, plays a major role leading, you know, finalizing the victory, and she enters the story matter-of-factly. You know, it's not like, uh, well, her husband ran away, so she was the only one at the tent. So, um, But she plays a significant role as well. And it... it you know, just kind of reading the story as is, and I looked at, at you know, some different commentary and stuff, um, you know, just so these aren't the musings of Steve, but the the way it plays out, it's, um, you know, it's, Barak is called, he's a commander, she says, here's what God's going to do, and he's very much like Moses in Exodus chapter 3, you know, when God is like, okay, Moses, here's what we're doing. I'm sending you. You're going to be a deliverer for my people. Here's the plan. And Moses throws those excuses, uh, five excuses at God. Hey, what if they don't believe me? You know, it tosses all those out. Um, And, um, you know, Brock kind of does the same. Well, I'm going to go, but I'm not going alone. You got to go with me. I mean, there's fear, trepidation, something. Um, And then Deborah, you know, makes a statement. Okay, well, I will go with you, but you know, then the victory won't be yours. It will be in the hands of a woman. Um, and I just wonder what's the most responsible reading of that? Is it okay, Barack? God, God really wanted you to have. You know, you would you would have had the honor and the victory for being obedient to the Lord. But since you can't go alone, and you you need some kind of training wheels. You know, the victory won't be yours. It'll be in the hands of a woman, my hand, and actually the hand of the woman who helps finish off. Um, But often even that is used as some of the excuse. Well, that's proof that, you know, no men stepped up because she says that to him. But I think it's more of a statement of his fear. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you know, you're going to share the victory then. And I'm going with you. I'm a woman. The victory is going to be ours, not just yours.
0: Well, I think... Yeah, because I think another way to look at it is exactly like with Moses. And you look at um, almost, almost, I mean, almost everyone in Scripture, their first response often when they encounter either, you know, uh, God in some form, whether it's a burning bush or an angel or just this is the word of the Lord, this is what you do, oftentimes their first response is fear And so, which is totally understandable. Like, I I get that. Um, So instead of, I think, that being seen as punishment from God, you know, God punishing Barack, I think it's just more of a, okay, well, this is how it's going to play out then.
1: Yeah. It'll unfold this way, and it does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and... I mean, there's no indication that you know Barack. He's fine with that. You know, there's no indication that he gets you know his get you know all upset or or whatever, refuses to go. If the glory's going to go to a woman, he seems completely okay.
1: Yeah, he's assured and goes yeah, in the battle, yeah. right? And it plays out exactly like God says it will.
0: So it reminds me of, or um, well, it just it makes me think of. Uh, the creation story, you know, and uh, how God, God's original intent and design was for man and woman to rule and reign together. I mean, he says that as soon as he creates um, Eve, and then he says, to, you know, he commands them. The first thing he says to them um is to give them a command. You know, you will rule and reign together, and so it makes me. And then, of course, the fall happens, and and then we, you know, the curse. But the way that Deborah and Barack, and especially if you read um, chapter five, which is the the song of Deborah, but Barack and she are singing it together. Yeah, it's a duet. That's it right. is. Yeah. yeah, so they're singing it together. Um. It makes me think of what God's original intent was for man and women, men and women to rule and reign together.
1: Yeah, yeah, because at the beginning, you know, God cre- it's in the image of God. He created not him, but them. You know, in the image right. of God, He created them, male and female, both together reflect the image of God. But you're right in the beginning. Adam and Eve are ruling and reigning together. But so often when we talk about women in ministry, people do go back to Genesis and they say, let's go back to the beginning and get this right. <laughs> they do exactly the what you to said. The they, start to the, they start with a fall and right, not creation. Right. And so, you know, the, and, and they'll begin to quote the fall. Okay, well, here's what happened. You know, look, uh, um, you know, your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. There'll be chain, pain in childbearing, but they start there right. instead of the beginning, because you're right. You get this picture in the beginning of Adam and Eve ruling together. And then of course you have the fall and then the curse of uh, from the fall. And then what seems to ensue is this power play, you know, there, and it is, and I think this is a fundamental question to answer or to at least turn over and. Live with the question until you get an answer. But um is this power play is it the curse? Is it a result of the fall, this power play between men and women? Um because this is exactly what God says will happen. Right. At the curse. Yeah.
0: Um Yeah, I think I mean I I think it is, and we talked about this in the women's Bible study last summer, you know, that um you have to go back. You have to go back to what God intended, and what His, you know, the original intent of of men and women, man and woman. You have to go back there, because we don't live under the curse anymore.
1: Right, Jesus redeemed I mean, the, us. Exactly, Galatians three thirteen.
0: Right. So, so to go to the fall, to the curse, and and get our theology for men and women, relationships from that would be living under the curse.
1: Yeah. When we've been redeemed from it, Galatians right. 3.13. Exactly. You know, uh, Christ became a curse for us. Curses anyone who hangs on the pole. He liberated us from the curse. So it's 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 just, it's fun to turn it over. But so often in churches, it's just, it, it's just taboo. It's like, we don't even talk about this. This is established. How dare someone mess with the, you know, the divine order or, you know, the, the, the setup here when these are very good questions, you know, biblically minded people ought to be asking, Hey, are we starting at the same place? Hey, is, you know, is, is this, um, establishment of a recognized set order? Is it really biblical? Is it right?
0: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we can get back to the story, but, um, but just that to touch on what you were just saying about power, I do think that that is a result of the fall because there is sort of, there is now this, um, you know, struggle between men and women over power. And, um, I think men oftentimes feel threatened, by women who are strong and, and, um, extremely gifted, you know, and, and women feel, um, like they have to prove, you know, themselves and prove that they're, um, just as powerful, you know, as men. So there's this struggle. And I really, I like, um, I just listened to a podcast, that um Carolyn Custis James was a a um, guest on, and um she's written a lot on this whole idea of of women uh, her you know she has a anyway, and so she says that women and men were designed and and made to rule together, and the power doesn't belong to either one of us. the power belongs to the Lord. Hmm. So if the power is God's and we're not at war with one another for the power, we understand that the power is his and all we have to do is to then step in to who we were created to be and step into the giftings that he put in us. And that, um, so anyway, and then JL ends up being uh, Barack's are, which we can unpack that then if you want yeah, to. Yeah,
1: but, but, but yeah, and I, I think we need to, but I, I love that you're framing it that way because, um, right now there's in, in not, not too long past, there is such a, a fight over this issue. And of course, you, you know, you, you've got, we've got some really ungodly influences like, um, you know, even that, Hey, we've been oppressed. It's our time now. Yeah, well, freedom is a great thing, but that's not a reason um, to walk this way in church leadership or another way to, you know, for for guys to say, hey, we're not going to give up. We're not giving up the ground. This is our ground. That's crazy. Out of some sense of tradition, um, you know, the, the the leadership structure of the church is set up that way because that's how it's always been, or to flip the order because, you know, suddenly there's a lot of societal pressure. Um, And, you know, if we don't want to look like a bigoted, repressive church, then we need to let, you know, we need to change our leadership structure. That's a very sinful reason. You know, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason and it just became the wrong thing, but purely out of a biblical, asking a biblical question, what do we see? And, and you used a word just now, Azar, which, um, would you mind unpacking that just a little bit? Because it's a word that we're real familiar with, but not everybody out there is.
0: Right. So, do you mind that?
1: No. Okay.
0: And again, this, um, I just you know, I I first read and learned about this from Carolyn Custis James. So I, I just want to make that clear that this is not my own research. That this was research that I read from her. But Azar. So when God creates. Uh, Eve, when God creates woman, He calls her a a helper. You know, she will be your helper. Well, that word helper is Azar, and it is used in the Old Testament. And I'm probably going to get the numbers wrong here, but I think it's like 21 times, and three of those times are for. Other nations are like Israel calling out to other nations, come help us. We're in trouble. Be our Azar. The other time, the other two times is for women or for when God created Eve. And then the rest, the other 16 times, if I'm doing my math right, is um, the word Azar is used for God himself. Yeah, so, and it's paired with another word connecto, too. Connecto, right, yeah. which means strong or rescuing, strong rescuing helper. So to call Eve a helper in the sense of made or um, I'm here to prop up Adam and serve him is, is a complete um, misread of what that word helper yeah, because means. It's strong
1: rescuing helper. help. Yeah, strong yeah. rescuing so help. So when
0: God created Eve, he said, he called her that, an Azar Connecto. She will be your strong rescuing helper. Yeah. And um, so, and I think it's so cool because you see that That's in exactly. action <clears throat> with JL and Barack. With Deborah. And yeah. Deborah. And Deborah. But, but JL, especially, um, well, both of them, but. but um, it's true but, of Rahab
1: as well. She would be a strong helper right. for Joshua and Caleb. Right, right, yeah.
0: exactly. So J.L. is the one who ends up killing Sisera um, because, you know, Barack um, needed, you know, wanted help, and so he got it. Yeah. He got that Azar Connecto
1: that yeah. he wanted. <laughs> yeah, and, and I want to just, you know, here's a parenthetical note that is connected to this. Um, there is absolutely nothing wrong with a woman, in light of this, being um, very domestic, um, and in any way, shape, or form. You know that that traditional role of the mom who stays at home. You know, uh, provides. Uh, you know, in a uh, what's been stereotyped as a even kind of incorrectly as a as a, uh, Proverbs, uh, 31. Proverbs 31 woman, but for it, for it to end up as, you know, kind of a gentle serving domestic, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and that's, that's beautiful. In fact, that's been a lot of your story in the early years with our kids, but I think where the so- storyline turns sinister is when on, and I'm saying this as a dad is when every young woman who is a Christian, um, you're waiting for your life to begin. Um you will your identity will be formed when you find your husband. Your God given role begins when you have children, and you maintain it when you stay at home, when you stay domestic. And I think that, that's where the, the, the storyline becomes very toxic because biblically, you know that's why I said that a minute ago about Proverbs thirty one. When you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, um, man, she is, she is doing it all, you know, and I think, and and as you've said so often, she's a composite. She's not one woman, but you're seeing, hey, here's a woman who she's an entrepreneur, you know, she's good with money. Um, She provides for her family, you know, and, and I do believe she is a composite of women. Um, but it's just so interesting that, that, uh, the story of Deborah just blows apart, our stereotype without the excuses we make for it,
0: well, and the thing about being an Azar is not it doesn't have anything to do with the role exactly. that you play. It has everything to do with your identity, and that can that plays out in the home and in the workplace and hopefully in the church yeah, um, which I think is what you know what we're kind of exploring that it, at least in the tradition that we have come up in. Um, women have not, and I know there are a lot of churches where women are, um, a lot of denominations where women are, um, considered equals and, but in our tradition, they haven't been as, as much, or at least a tradition that we came up in. We're now part of a denomination that does allow women to be pastors, but, um, yeah, so, um. Just so so it doesn't have anything to do with—I well, kind of lost my train of thought there. But it doesn't have anything to do with your role, but just your identity. Mm-hmm. And I think what we are trying to explore then is how does that play out
1: in the church? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay, so um, where do we go from here? That's the question.
0: Well, I mean, I think we sort of have to talk about Paul's teachings— well, if, if we're going to explore this, that's great thing about a and <laughs>
1: it's like a verbal playground, you know, yeah. we can run over the swings for a minute if we want to.
0: Well, I mean, I just, cause I think a lot of, you know, or some people that may be listening would, would have that question.
1: Yeah. What do you do with Paul?
0: About? What do you do? Which is a, I mean, I think everyone has that question when you tackle this issue of women in leadership, what do you do with Paul's teachings on this?
1: Right. Yeah, and it and it's a question that should be asked. I mean, if you if we're willing to explore Deborah and think about the other side, we've you've really got to think about Paul. And I, I you know, I think there are some very uh some some tensions that ought to be touched on. Um one is that when we want to use Paul as a rationale for prohibiting women in leadership, whether it's elders, pastors, um, and again, some churches, are, are they, they draw that boundary line a lot earlier. What's interesting is that we, we're only using part of Paul to do that. And I mean, even part of Paul's prohibition. I don't mean, you know, uh, well, if you look at Paul in this other book, but I mean within the passage, right. um, because Paul will make the statement of head coverings, you know, hey, woman needs to cover her head uh, nobody is calling for, I mean, you've got to hunt really hard to find a denomination that does that. Um, or, you know, the prohibitions of jewelry and hair, nobody will use that, but we want to grab on to the part about women not serving. And so this has been pointed out a lot that there's a real hypocrisy to say, well, we're going to use part of the prohibition and ignore everything else Paul says. If we're going to be consistent let's be completely consistent but why aren't we going to be completely consistent because the idea of telling every woman they have to cover their head you know uh not wear jewelry um you know treat their hair in this manner it's absolutely ridiculous it's well, we know that is a cultural right, issue right that's what i was just going to yeah. say it's
0: it was cultural at that time um so yeah i think then you can look at his other prohibitions on women. You know, not, I don't permit a woman to... to, I think you can look at that as also cultural. Uh, And see, this is something that's really interesting, um, which on this podcast, this other podcast I was listening to, and Carolyn uh, James uh, points this out too, is that you, you really need to look at the... Scripture, the Word of God, from a sociological and anthropological um, point of view, also you have to understand the customs and the um, and the and the culture in which the the Word was being written to really understand. Right, it just gives it a whole new life, and I think this, the teachings of Paul, is a perfect example. Yeah, that. To understand what he meant and and what he was saying, you have to understand the sociological and the the cultural norms of that time and day. Because, and this is where I got hung up when I first started exploring this whole um, issue for myself, was, A, it was Deborah. She was my first, like, what? Why would God have... A, a woman lead Israel. Like there is no higher um office that, that she could have been in and you know at that time, and he has a woman in that position. Right. Why would he do that? And then in the New Testament turn around and say, Well, women can't lead. Yeah. It just it doesn't it didn't make sense to me. And so that was when I first started exploring it. But then also Paul has women elders and women deacons. Right. So he, he obviously, he, he would be schizophrenic to say, I don't, per, you know, permit this. And yet here he has women elders and deacons that he's serving with yeah, and planting churches with.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's where I think we've got to be more responsible with the word of God, because it's not a it's not a cut and paste job. We are not to add to it or take away from it. Um, so we've, we've got to deal with what we have. I learned this in seminary. This is our um, this is our, our famous exegetical statement. Professors would always say context is king. You must understand the context. And when you talk about um, uh, cultural, anthropo- anthropo- uh, we're talking about history. So what's going on? Okay. Because God is not going to violate God. God is not going to disobey God. God is forever the same. If it is wrong for women to be in leadership, God is, like you said, God is not going to put a woman in leadership. He can, I mean, if he can raise Adam out of the dust of the earth, if he can speak through a donkey, um, God can get a leader in there. And God has used, by the way, several times, some pretty rotten men leaders and some pretty wonderful ones. So that's not the issue, what's going on. And and (coughs) Paul, at least, you know, there are some things we know, like, like, um, in his prohibi- prohibitions against jewelry, hair, and all of this. Um, th- we know historically that, uh, I think it was the Temple of Diana, was basically across the street from the church. Right. And this is the way temple prostitutes looked. And Paul is saying to the women in this church, look, we don't need there to be any confusion or uh, you know wrong association going on here. That's part of it. We also know... Um, throughout the Galatian church, the Corinthian church, uh, several of the churches that, that Paul's working with at the time, he's dealing with some serious problems in the church. You, know, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And then he hammers them on their theology. And he's doing the same thing here. And, and there's, there's a, a very important word that I think we at least have to think about. In Paul's prohibitions, he uses a pronoun. And he says, I... I do not permit at this time, in this context, for a woman to do this. Paul is very clearly saying, look, as the leader, we got to have a little bit of leadership here right now. I, as your leader, am not going to allow this at this time. And I think we drop that pronoun and act like, hey, that's how it is for all churches for all times. Ignoring history, ignoring Paul dealing with issues, ignoring the fact that Paul is self-identifying that here's what i need to do right now in the life of the church. And i'm not saying this should make everybody change, you know, every thought you ever had about women in leadership, but we've got to think about this stuff when we etch in stone this is how it is. <laughs> Scripture's challenging us. Um the, the even the storyline, Old Testament and New, it really makes us stop and think again. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah.
0: I think we're out of time. We are out of time.
1: Wow. Okay. So fast. Um, yeah, it did go fast. Well, listen, this has been fun for us, at least. Um, I will tell you this for both Jane and I. Um, years ago, when we began to really look at this, it was uncomfortable. Um, there was so much in me that thought it's wrong to even have the conversation. But guys, that's the beautiful thing about scripture. We should never be afraid to ask a great big question and let Scripture answer it for us. So, mm-hmm. just you know, fold this into your thinking, your prayer, you know, um, your understanding of what it means to walk forward as the church, um, as men and women and leaders. So, yeah. and also it was it was a journey
0: for oh, uh, so both true. of us. It was so true. Not like we changed our thinking on this um, topic overnight, but. And we're still learning, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, hopefully that gave y'all something to think
1: about. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, go back, read the story of Deborah again, have some fun. Um, Think twice if little children are in the room, because again, it's a grisly tale. (laughs) But boy, we get some some beautiful, rich theology um, out of it. So, hey, we love you guys out there. Join us next week as um, we uh, go a little deeper still with something else.